All right, good evening, everyone. Let us, let us begin. So we are, Emirat Hashem, going backwards a little bit in Sefer Tehillim. And we are going to be focusing on Kapitel Chaf Beis, chapter 22 in Tehillim. As I mentioned in last week's shir, what I would like to really do is use the next couple of weeks to focus on Purim. So as we, maybe for this week and for next week, Emir Hashem, we'll focus on Purim in a bit more of a, of a nuanced fashion. And then Emir Hashem. As we get a little bit closer to, to Yantiv and Meretz Hashem, maybe we'll focus a bit more on the Megillah, still bringing in Sefer Tehillim. Our shir tonight, our series is dedicated by the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families. Le'iloi nishmas harab Yitzchak, David, Bemeir, Ari Yezichron, Le'rachu, Yopdin, and the merit of our Tamator, the Neshamo, Havan Aliyah, and the family in the Chama. So with that, let us begin. So Kapitel Chavbeis, you're going to see, is a fascinating Kapitel on a variety of levels. First of all, because in general, it's always interesting to find Kapitlach where you find many Psukim that you recognize. And we will see that Kapitel Chavbeis is one such Kapitel. So if we take a look at number one, David HaMelech writes, Lam Natseach al Ayeles HaShachar Mizmar Lidavid. So Lam Natseach, again, as we've seen many times, to the conductor of the Levitic choir, Al Ayeles Hashachar. So here again, the English translation is very helpful. The English of Al Ayeles Hashachar is on Ayeles Hashachar. Good. I purposely left it undefined because we're going to see that in fact the meaning of those words, which is really going to be the crux of our shir tonight, is subject to an incredible amount of dispute. If anyone needs sheets, I think that there are extra sheets up here. Hopefully there's some sheets back there as well. So, so, so good. So we'll come back to Ayala Sashachar in just, in just one moment. So again, you could see David HaMelech says, Keli, Keli, Lama Azavtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps some of the strongest words that David HaMelech writes in the entirety of Sefer Tehillim. It's a cry for help, but what else is it? What else is it? It's an indictment of the Ribbon Shalolam. It's David HaMelech making almost like an accusation. My God, why have you left me? In other words, it's not saying, where did you go? Did you leave me? It's Keli, Keli, Lama, Azavtani. David HaMelech feeling quite definitive that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has left. And again, we'll discuss this. Rachok mi Yeshua si divresha agasi. You are far from my salvation and far and from my words of moaning. Elokai ekra yomam velosana. Hashem, I call out to you by day. But you do not answer. And even when night comes, I shall not be silenced. You could could see already from the opening of this capital that once again, the particular chapter of Tehillim really captures a really desperate tone of King David, an incredibly overwhelmingly desperate tone of David HaMelech. David HaMelech feeling alone, David HaMelech feeling forsaken. I want to point out two different things. There are two different ways that David HaMelech often approaches challenge and difficulty. There are times when David HaMelech feels alone, but he knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is really with him. And then there are other times when David feels alone and feels that God has fundamentally forsaken him. This capital is the latter. David HaMelech not only feels alone in the world, but he feels alone that Hashem has totally left him alone. So I want to focus us really on the opening Pasuk here. And more specifically, on a working definition of the phrase, Ayeles HaShachar. So if you take a look, again, I put the whole capital on the page. Emir Hashem over the coming weeks will focus on the capital. But like I said tonight, really just to focus on Ayala Sashachar. Take a look at number two. So Rashi says something very interesting. What's the meaning of Ayala Sashachar? Shame, Kli, Shir. 
Rashi says, Ayala Sashachar is actually the name of an instrument. It's a type of instrument. Now we've seen this many times in Sefer Tehillim, where David HaMelech, again we know, to the conductor of the Levitic choir, David HaMelech composed Sefer Tehillim to be sung in the Beis HaMikdash by the Levim. Remember, what David HaMelech wanted more than anything in this world was to what? To build the Beis HaMikdash. That's what he wanted. He, went, he wanted to build a bias for Hashem. But for a variety of different reasons, he was not given that opportunity. See, he does everything else but build the structure. He purchased the real estate. He cleared the site. He goes and arranges the music for the Levitic choir. And again, at some times, even tells the Levitic choir which type of instrument to use. So according to Rashi, Ayelas HaShachar is a... Is, is an instrument. So Darmach is telling Labnatseach, ultimately to the conductor, use this particular instrument for this shira. The Eben Ezra, he says something a little bit different. That's actually quite beautiful. The Eben Ezra says, V'hanochon be'eni. Eben Ezra says, I think Ayala Sashachar means something a little bit different. Ki hutchilas piut na'asa al derech divrecheshek kimon kimo ayelas avim. So interestingly enough, the Eben Ezra says, we find the word ayeles used in a different context. If you take a look at number four, so a very moving Pasuk in Mishlei. Ayeles ahavim v'ya'alaschein. So Shlom Melech writes in Mishlei, ayeles ahavim, an ayeles, an ayelet, or an ayelet, is a female deer, a hind. Right? So ayeles ahavim, Shlom Melech writes, a lovely hind. V'ya'alas chein, a graceful mountain goat. And in this Pasuk, B'chal eis ba'avasa tishket tamid. You shall always be intoxicated with her love. So the Eben Ezra says something absolutely beautiful. The Eben Ezra says that Ayelas hashachar represents youthful love. Youthful love. Now us are seeing youthful love and older love. You know, youthful love, youthful love is filled with hope, with promise. I mean, hopefully older love is filled with hope and promise also. But right, but, but youthful love is filled with, it's just a different, you know, Baruch Hashem, I have the opportunity to stand at, uh, under many chuppahs. You know, and the truth is, like that moment, it's also hopefully when a person is zocher to stand under the chuppah themselves, they feel it themselves. But it's interesting sometimes to experience something outside of yourself. You know, when it's your experience, you have a whole bunch of different emotions. When you see it from the outside, and the truth is, the truth is, when you stand under a chuppah and you see a chasen and kala, and you see like the way that they look at each other, and there's that, there's that non-verbal communication, that non-verbal communication and there's just that look, like life is great. I mean, hopefully, if you don't see this under the chuppah, that might be other issues. But right, but 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 the the idea is there's just there's just this look, like everything in the universe is perfect and in wonderful alignment. You know, the problem, of course, is it lasts for about four minutes, right? Until, but but. Thank you, Iris. Yeah, right. It's good. So 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 the the problem ultimately is that it's hard to keep that. But that's, 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 the Eben Ezra says, that's Ayelas HaShachar. It's this youthful, optimistic love that the world is great. Everything is somehow, some way going to be perfectly fine. Now listen to the irony in this. Because remember again, what's the topic of the capital? The topic of the capital is desperation. 
Right? Remember again, Dabar Melech says here very strong words. Keli Keli Lama Azaftani. Right? It's not a metaphor. Keli Keli Lama Azaftani. Dabar Melech saying, Why did you leave me? Why did you leave me? Why, why have you left the building? You know, this is an incredible idea. This is David HaMelech speaking. And this is David HaMelech saying, I don't understand why you have left me alone in this world. I don't understand why you force me to fend for myself. I don't understand why it is like this. That is so strong. When David HaMelech says, I cry out to you by day. You don't answer me. I cry out to you by night. You don't answer me. You hear a desperation. And yet that same Davar HaMelech, how does he begin the capital? Oh Hashem, it's so wonderful to be in love with you. And not just any love, but youthful love, optimistic love, excited love. The truth is, this is part of the dynamic we have with the Ribbon Hashem. You know, in Hasidus, this it's really in Kabbalah, this is a concept that is called Ratza Veshov. Ratza Veshov means forward and backwards. That in the world of a relationship with Hashem, relationship with Hashem is never constant. It's never constant. I'm moving forward, I'm moving backwards, but the beautiful part is whether I'm moving forward or backwards, I'm still in the relationship. And the truth is, if you think about it, it's true in every relationship. You know, it's interesting the one thing we want most out of our life relationships is consistency. And the one thing that you will never get out of your life relationships is consistency. And not because the people who you care about or who you're in a relationship with don't, don't love you or care about you. It's very difficult for people to be consistent. Remember again, consistency is not in our wheelhouse. What makes HaKadosh Baruch Hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that he's consistent. Outside of God, you are not going to find a constant consistency. That's why in everything we do in life, you know, we sometimes get frustrated that, that's why, you know, it's interesting. In Yiddishkeit, really, if you think about it, the goal is not consistency. This is very important. Why can't the goal be consistency? Because it's an exercise in futility. If my goal is consistency, then what? I fail. I fail even before I start. What's the goal in Yiddishkeit? Maximize the day. Right? Let me focus on that. Consistency says, I'm going to focus on today, tomorrow, the next day. The truth is, who says that's our hashkafa? Our hashkafa is I'm focusing on today. Because the only thing I can do, the only level of consistency I actually control is how consistent I am in the present moment. Anything beyond that is not currently in my control. So therefore, by definition, it's not a contradiction to say, God, why have you left me? While at the same time to say, Hashem is my Ayala Sashachar. Hashem is like my youthful love, right? The love of my youth. It's not a contradiction. Because in the very same moment, I can feel passionately in love and connected with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And yet I can feel so incredibly far. I can know that I love you and you love me. I can know that we're connected, but yet I wonder, where are you? It's the Ratza Vishov. I'm going forward, I'm going backwards. And sometimes the amazing part is that movement could actually occur at the same time. In the same moment, there could be a movement towards and a movement from. I'm running to, Rabbi Salavechik also has, he, he speaks out this idea, he calls it running to and running from. I'm running to Hashem, I'm running from Hashem, and so often all of those things are happening in the same moment. So one heart, one heart 
could feel a dramatic sense of love and like euphoric love, youthful love with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, while at the same time wondering, why are you not coming through for me? Why are you not providing for me? Why are you not here when I need you most? I love you so much, but where are you? So that's the Ebenezer. So I just want to point out from two words, Ayala Sashachar, you have Rashi telling us it's an instrument. You have the Ebenezer telling us it's youthful of. We now come to the second approach in the Ebenezer. Look at number, actually, that was the second approach to the Ebenezer. The first approach in the Ebenezer, which is interesting because it seems to be like the most Pashib Shat, the simple approach in this entire, in this entire Pasik. The Ebenezer writes in number five. The Ebenezer says, the Ebenezer says, Ayala Sashachar is the dawn. It's the dawn. Now the truth is, we're not actually going to, I'm going to say this approach is going to really make up the bulk of next week's shir. We're going to speak about again the dawn and the connection of the dawn to Esther Hamalka, miracle of Purim. For now, I, just, I wanted just to show it to you tonight. Sayala Sashachar, the dawn. Now again, amazing. What does the dawn have to do with David Hamelech's suffering? In Mirat Session, we'll talk about that next week. Look at number six. The Gemara Meseches Yuma says something absolutely amazing. The Gemara says, So the Gemara says, by the way, this capital is a reference to Esther Hamalka. This capital is the story of Esther Hamalka, of Queen Esther. And in fact, just to kind of give you coming attractions a little bit, the Gemara says, the Gemara says, where does the phrase Keli Keli Lama Azavtani? So of course, Davra Balak said it, but remember, there are many things that David HaMelech said in Tehillim that have prophetic import, right? He was, David HaMelech was a Navi. So amazingly enough, the Gemara explains that when Esther goes to Ahasuerus, remember again, the part of the story, one of the most dramatic parts of the Megillah, where Esther has not been summoned by the king for a long amount of time. And now she's going to the king, so to speak, uninvited. And again, in that moment when she's going to the king, the Gemara says, we're going to see she feels that the divine presence has left her. She feels alone. She feels alone. And in fact, the Gemara says in that moment, when Esther is just a few feet away from the king, not knowing again, is the next moment going to bring life or death? She says the words, Keli, Keli, Lama, Azavtani. But the Gemara says, the Ayala Sashachar, the Ayala Sashachar is Esther Malka. Is Esther Hamalka. Now, interestingly enough, there's a whole discussion. Why is Esther Hamalka called the Ayelas Hashachar? So again, I don't want to get, I don't want to ruin, I don't want to ruin the future. Sure, we're going to get to that. And there's so much to talk about on Purim. I don't want to jump the gun on Purim, but I'll just tell you this piece. One of the incredible miracles of the Purim story is remember we said the Ayelas Hashachar means what? Youthful love. Youthful love. The most incredible miracle of the Purim story was what? Think about this just a moment. The most incredible miracle of the Megillah was? Esther saved the Jews. Esther saved the Jews. Absolutely, that's the, it's a very big miracle. Good. What else? If you think about it, one of the most dramatic miracles was the fact everyone fell in love with Esther. <laughs> everyone is smitten by Esther. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Achashverosh falls in love with Esther. The people fell in love with Esther. Hasach, 
who was in charge of the king's harem, he falls in love with that. I mean, not literally, but like, but like he, everybody's enamored by Esther Amalka. And the truth is, it's such a strange dynamic. Why is it a strange dynamic? Because we'll discuss, no one knows who she is. Esther never divulged her identity. Esther never told anyone until the end of the story who she was, where she was from, her nationality, nothing. Yet amazingly enough, everyone is taken by Esther Hamalka. So again, on a most basic level, the capital, when it says, Ayeles HaShachar, the youthful love, refers to the one who everyone fell in love with. Everyone fell in love with her. Esther HaMalka. So look at the Alshech number seven. And the Alshech says, okay, I, I understand the Gemara says that this capital is a reference to Esther HaMalka, but why is David HaMelech speaking about Esther? Right, let's ask ourselves that question. In other words, while it is true that there are certain things that, well, let's take a step back. So we've been learning Sefer Tilim enough to know that generally when David HaMelech speaks prophetically about events, he usually doesn't refer to specific events but rather refers to general events like Gullus, Diaspora, Gula, Messianic Redemption. Rarely does he make prophetic reference to specific events or specific people, which then leads us to a fundamental question, says the Alshech. Why does David HaMelech devote a capital to speak about Esther HaMalka? In other words, remember, this is not the only miracle. There's plenty of miracles Baruch Hashem the Jewish people have experienced. It's true, Esther, Purim is a big miracle. But remember again, is Purim the biggest? Is Purim the biggest? So remember, Purim, I don't want to get into Purim, I keep saying. But remember, we're going to talk about Purim. And we're going to see Purim as incredible as it is. There's no halal on Purim, right? Why is there no halal on Purim? Because the Gemara says, Akati avde achashverosh anan. Purim was not a complete redemption because at the end of the story, we are still at the mercy of a despotic, unpredictable king. So Purim is a young, Purim is a miracle, but it's not a total miracle. It's not a complete miracle. In fact, if you wait, even though we normally, we normally put Hanukkah and Purim together, if you look on the miracle scale, it would appear that Hanukkah is greater. Right? Hanukkah has, first of all, Hanukkah has supernatural miracles, the Pach Shemen. Hanukkah resulted in Jew, full Jewish autonomy, at least for a little while. Hanukkah, therefore, we say Hallel. So why does David HaMelech decide to devote a capital to Esther Malko? So what the al says, this is incredible. He writes, she writes as follows. So Yal Sheikh says, according to Gimara, this capital is a reference to Esther Malka. Look what he writes. Veroi Lassim Leif, Mi Hichnis as David Bazer, Loma Mizmar le David. So as long as the Al Sheikh, David, what possessed you to make a song, to make a capital about Esther? What, what, what possessed you? Look what he writes. So remember, the Gemara over here quotes the Pasik from Megillah's Esther. And I apologize, I didn't quote the Pasik on the sheet. But when we are introduced to Mordechai, he is known as Mordechai Hayyuhudi. Mordechai Hayyuhudi Ish Yemini. Mordechai Yehudi Ish Yemini. Now, the Gemara struggles with this because Yehudi usually means what? You know, we translate Yehudi as Jew. But the truth is, in, in biblical Hebrew, Yehudi means what? From Shevet Yehuda, from the tribe of Yehuda. Yemini means from the tribe of Binyamin. 
So the Gemara is confused. Where, what, what is Mordechai Zichos? Where is Mordechai from? Is he Yehudi? Is he from Yehuda? Is he from Binyamin? And so the truth is, the Gemara gives a whole bunch of answers. The Gemara says maybe his father was from Yehuda, his mother was from Binyamin. Others say again, his ma- look, what, look what the Al Shech says. Ela, Bishvil David da Asimi Yehuda. Rather, listen to this. The Ilo Shavke Lashimi Vahavakatale, Lo Havanofik Mine Mordechai. So let's explain what the Al Shech is saying, and, and then we'll, we'll look in the Psukim. So the Al Shech so is quoting the Gemara. And the Gemara says, no, here's Mordechai was from the tribe of Binyamin. That's where he was from, tribe of Binyamin. If that's the case, why is he called the Yehudi? Because he was only alive, Mordechai only was born to tell the story, or only born, only born, only came into this world because of the actions of a man from Yehuda. Which man from Yehuda? David HaMelech. David HaMelech is responsible for the birth of Mordechai. Okay, we'll get to how that is exactly in just a moment. He's also for the birth of Mordechai. And by the way, once we know that, Well, remember again, if Mordechai, if Mordechai was born as a result of David HaMelech, then guess who else was born as a result of David HaMelech? Esther. Remember, leaving aside here that there is a whole dispute in the nature of the relationship between Mordechai and Esther. Was Mordechai Esther's surrogate father? Was he her husband? Again, it's, it's a whole discussion in the Megillah. The Ashech, as the Gemara over here is going with the approach, that no, they're related. They're not married, they're related. They're related. So therefore, again, the Ashech says, if it's David HaMelech who's responsible for the birth of Mordechai, then it was David HaMelech who's responsible for the birth of Esther HaMalka as well. And therefore, again, he says, Therefore, again, so says the Alshech, why does David Amelech say, Why is David Amelech singing about Esther Amalko? Because David Amelech is responsible for the birth of Mordechai, is responsible for the birth of Esther. Okay, how do we know that? Where, 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 where does that come from? So I want to show you an incredible story. If you take a look at number eight, this is a story in Shmuel Beis. So to give you a little bit of context, remember, as you always speak about with David HaMelech, so many of the events of David HaMelech's life kind of circle back to the episode with Bathsheba. And although David HaMelech does tshuva for the episode with Bathsheba, and he is forgiven by HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the episode with Bathsheba, and the union of David and Bathsheba is blessed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the proof to that was the birth of Shlomo, who Hashem calls Yedidya, the beloved one of God, who God gives the license to build the Beis HaMikdash. That was the Raya, that was the proof that Hashem blessed the union. There are repercussions for David HaMelech's behaviors. There are repercussions for what he did, which is an incredible, in general, incredible use sowed in life. That sometimes when I make mistakes, when I make mistakes, I could fix my mistakes, right? I could do tshuva. And I could cleanse myself, but you can't always undo the damage that you've done. Or in other words, you can't always walk back the repercussions of your actions. And the episode about Shavah is a perfect example. David HaMelech is, explicit, David HaMelech is, the, is the paradigmatic about Shavah. He is explicitly forgiven by God, as I mentioned. The union of David and Bathsheba is blessed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Their son Shlomo is the one who's given the right to go out and build the base of Mekdash. Yet, yet, David HaMelech is told explicitly by Nasan Hanavi 
that there are going to be three calamities which befall him. Number one, the first baby he had with Bathsheba died. That's number one. Number two, Dada Malach is going to suffer from illness. And number three, there is going to be a rebellion from within his home. Who leads that rebellion from within the ranks of David Amal's own family? Avshalom. Avshalom. Number eight, source number eight, takes place during the rebellion of Avshalom. So remember again, Avshalom marches into Yushalayim, and David Amal made a decision. He is not going to fight his son. He's not going to fight him. So David Amal chooses flight over fight. I'm, I'm not engaging my son. See, here we go. Take a look at number eight. Uba Melech David in Ad Bachurim. So David Amalek is running away with an entourage. He comes to a place called Bachurim. And who comes out to greet him? I say greeting in quotations. A man from Shaul's family. And his name was Shimi Ben Gera Yotza Umakalel. And Shimi Ben Gera comes out. And Shimi Ben Gera gives David Amalek a Shalom Aleichem. Right? But not a Shalom Aleichem like a good one. Right? He gives him a what for. Right? He's cursing him. Saying all kinds of horrible things. Vaisakel ba'avanim as David. He starts throwing stones at David Amalek. Vesko avdi Amalek. David v'chala am v'chala gibar mimino mismalo. So everybody's stunned. What's going on? Shimi Ben Gera is on the warpath. He's cursing. He's yelling. He's throwing rocks. They call Amar Shimi Bekalo, Say Say Ishadomim, the Ishabilial, He Shivalacha, Hashem is called me Beshol, Ashamalachta Tachtav, Vaitin Hashem is Hamalucha Biad of Shalminach. And essentially, you know, you know what Shimi Ben Gera says to David? You know what he says to him? David, what goes around comes around. Right? You went ahead and you took the throne from Shaul, right? And you were the king's son in law. You were the king's son in law, right? You were Mishpacha. And you stole, quote-unquote, you stole the throne from your father. Now, of course, we know that's blatantly false, right? Dara Malach, we spoke about this last week. Dara Malach had, had absolutely no interest in the monarchy. Dara Malach had no interest in the throne. Dara Malach had one interest and one interest only, which was to be left alone. To lead a life of quiet and solitude. He was happy as a shepherd. He didn't need anything more. The throne, monarchy, leadership, destiny was foisted upon David HaMelech. So now Shimi Ben Gera, however, has a different narrative. And Shimi Ben Gera says, you stole the throne from your father-in-law. Look what you did. And because you, you, Mishpacha, stole the throne from your father-in-law, now your own son has stolen the throne from you. And David... You deserve every bit of heartache. You deserve every bit of pain because Hashem should do to you what you did to Shalom. Pasuk Tes, verse 9, in source number 8. Avishai ben Amelach. So Avishai ben is one of David Amelach's generals. said, you can't talk to the king like that. He says, David, remember there's a concept... You know, one of the interesting things that we're going to have to focus on Mashiach comes is, you know, Judaism does not really believe in democracy, right? We believe in a theocracy, which means we have a monarch who is governed by the laws of the Torah. You know, we're used to kind of saying whatever we want to our leaders or about our leaders in front of them, not in front of them. So, you know, with a king, you're not allowed to run your mouth. And if I run my mouth and I say something offensive, that's called morid b'malchus, rebelling against the crown. And rebelling against the crown brings with it an immediate death penalty. There's no trial, there's no jury, there's no appealing, there's nothing. So, you're, so, so Avishai ben Suruya says, David, Pearson can't talk to you like that, you're the king. 
you're the king. Give me permission and I'll kill him right here. And here's what's interesting. David HaMelech says, you know what? Leave him. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. I don't, I don't want you to do anything to him. Let him continue to do his thing. And in fact, again, if you look at the last Pasuk, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, so what happens? David and his servants continue down the road. So sure enough, what happens? They leave Shimi ben Gera alone. Shimi ben Gera is still cursing, throwing stones, throwing dirt. And David and his men move on. This is the story of Shimi ben Gera. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? So first of all, let's analyze this for just a moment. Sounds just a moment. So why didn't David punish Shimi? Right? Remember again, Shimi ben Gera, David Melch is the victim here, right? Avshalom is one who rebelled. David Melch made a conscious decision not to fight against his son. Fine, so he's fleeing Yerushalayim. Shimi is absolutely unequivocally wrong. Why does Shaul, excuse me, why does David choose not to respond? So take a look. If you take a look at number nine, so the Al-Sheikh, Al-Sheikh gives an interesting answer. He says, So interesting, essentially, David HaMelech says to Avishai ben Surya, it should be a kapara. In other words, that you know what? Let this atone for my sins. Let this pain, let this humiliation be an atonement for me for anything that I may have done wrong. So according to this approach, David HaMelech willingly accepts upon himself the pain, the humiliation, the degradation in the hope that it'll be a form of atonement. Rashi says, Hashem Amar Lo, Efshar Adam Kimosu Shurosh Sanhedrin, so Rashi says the other possibility is what? The other possibility is that maybe God, maybe this is the will of God. Maybe this is the will of God. Right? Maybe this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. And the Ribbon Shalom, because remember again, the other piece to this story that I didn't mention is, Shimon ben Gera himself was a great tzaddik. Shimon ben Gera was actually at, some, at a point in time the head of the Sanhedrin the head of the highest court in the land. Shimon ben Gera was not just like some foul-mouthed guy who decided to mouth off to the king. He was a gadol in his own right. So David HaMelech, in a moment of extreme humility, says something amazing. He says that at the end of the day, maybe this is from Hashem. Maybe this is from Hashem. The Rabag says something different. The Rabag says in number 11, Ki Hashem Amar lo kilal is David. Amar, so listen to this. So the Rabbah says, same idea really as Rashi, which is maybe the Davinah was saying, maybe this is the ultimate will of Hashem, that it's the will of Hashem that Shimi curses me, publicly humiliates me, and who am I to interfere or intervene with the will of Hashem. Now, we're going to pause here for just a moment. Let's go back for just a second. Remember, again, we saw in the Al-Sheikh. Let's just tie, tie this together, and then we'll move forward. Al-Sheikh said, Al-Sheikh asked, why is David HaMelech? Why is David HaMelech going ahead and writing about Esther HaMelech? And what did the Al-Sheikh answer? Because David HaMelech is responsible for the birth of Mordechai and Esther. 
Do you know why David Melch was responsible for the birth of Mordechai and Esther? Guess who Mordechai and Esther's Alter Zeda was? Shimi ben Geira. Shimi ben Geira was Mordechai and Esther's great, 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 however many greats, grandfather. Shimi ben Geira is the direct, is the direct ancestor of Mordechai and, and Mordechai and Esther. And because of David Amal, because David Amal did not kill Shimi, therefore ultimately again, there is an Esther Hamalka, there is a Mordechai HaYehudi, and therefore there is a salvation to Klal Yisrael, for Klal Yisrael. Therefore it says the al this is why David HaMelech chooses to write a capital about Esther HaMalka. Why? Because he feels that he has a hand in the story of Esther, in the story of Mordechai, in the story of the salvation of Klal Yisrael. Because had he killed Shimi ben Gera, there would have been no Esther, there would have been no Mordechai. Because he didn't kill Shimi and Gera, there's an Esther Malka, and there's a Mordechai at Tzaddik. Now let's analyze this a little bit. Okay, so now, now we understand from the capital. Let's go back. So why didn't Mordechai kill why didn't Mordechai kill Shimi ben Gera? So again, we see either David Amalek is accepting upon himself a sense of suffering, or there's another lesson that David Amalek is teaching us over here, which is something quite amazing, which is sometimes in life, you know, Rabbi Nachman has a phrase. Rabbi Nachman says, whenever you find yourself in a difficult situation, always say the following phrase to yourself, Kacha Hashem Rotzeh. Kacha Hashem Rotza. This is what Hashem wants. Remember, says Rabbi Nachman, and this is what David Amalek is really teaching us before Rabbi Nachman, there's nothing that happens to us in life that Hashem doesn't want to happen to us. And let's talk about this just a moment because it actually creates an interesting theological reality. Right? So to give you a very simple idea, right? Well, a person comes over, we'll call him Shimon, right? Shimon comes over to me and Shimon slashes my tires. Right? Right? Shimon slashes my tires. Is that from Hashem? Is that from Hashem? No. Of course it's from Hashem. Now, remember again, of course it's from Hashem. Because everything that happens in this world is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, let's be careful over here. Even though it's from Hashem, does that free Shimon from his personalistic culpability? No. Shimon has free will. Shimon has free will. Right? Remember again, but, so there's, there's this interesting dynamic. The interesting dynamic is when something happens to me in life, if let's say someone inflicts some harm on me. So at the end of the day, that person is responsible for their actions, but the result of the event is something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to happen to me. Anything that happens to me in this world only happens because the Ribbono Shal Olam wants it. If Hashem doesn't want it, it does not happen. Now again, I, I want to just be explicitly clear. So, you know, when Shimon goes in and slashes my tires, he can't say, don't get upset at me. I'm just the Shliach Hashem, right? I'm just the age. Obviously, that doesn't work, right? Because Shimon has free will and Shimon's choosing to abuse that free will by harming another person. But the net result of the event, right? When I look at what's happened to me, how do I process that, right? Doesn't this happen all of the time? Things happen in life. And very often it's when other people do negative things to us Often, we look at that event as, you know, Shimon harmed me and therefore I'm in this situation. And the truth is, theologically, Rabbi Nachman says it's not totally correct. 
I'm in this situation because Hashem wants me to be in this situation. It's true. Things that Shimon did brought me to this point. But at the end of the day, I am where I am because that is where Hashem wants me to be. Kacha Hashem rotsa. And by the way, Rabbi Nachman says, when you begin to live life like this, so, you know, we, we often spend so much time being so upset and so forlorn, you know, feeling like, I can't believe I'm in this situation. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe this is occurring. And often we feel like the victim of circumstances. Instead of realizing, while it's true, somebody may have done something to us, right? I may be a victim of someone else's inappropriate or negative behavior. But at the end of the day, the net result of where I am is exactly where HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants me to be. This is what I need. This is where I need to be. Now, why do I need to be here? What am I going to get from this? Okay, those are the great mysteries of life that I try to figure out. So, so what David HaMelech is teaching us, why doesn't David kill Shimi? So according to the first approach, the Al-Sheikh, Rashi even says it as well. It's from, I'm sorry, well, more according to Rashi and the Rabag. This is from Hashem. So David HaMelech says, everybody's ready to act. Everybody's ready to pounce. And I'm not disagreeing that Shimi may deserve to die. But maybe, maybe, Hashem wants me to experience this. In other words, maybe the approach to this situation is not to punish Shimi, but to allow myself to understand why am I here? What am I supposed to get? Because if I'm being cursed by Shimi in this moment right now, Kacha Hashem Rotsa. This is what Hashem wants. Now remember again, I want to be clear. Does Shimi Ben Geira get away scot-free? No, remember, you, you know how the story of Shimon Gera ends. Skip to the end of Shmuel Beis. David HaMelech is on his deathbed. And what happens? Melech HaMelech, sorry. David HaMelech is on his deathbed. And what happens? He calls in Shlomo. Remember this story. We've mentioned it many times. He calls in Shlomo. And he tells Shlomo, I want you to deal with Shimi Ben Gera. And essentially, it's a whole long story. But Shlomo ultimately ends up executing Shimi Ben Gera. So to be clear... When you perpetrate wrong, when you perpetrate wrong, you're held accountable, there's liability, and God or man will always catch up with you. That's for sure. But almost, it's almost as if like the punishment for the perpetrator is not my issue. What I need to focus on now is I'm in this situation. Hashem put me in this situation, not Shimon. Shimon didn't put me. Shimon is the vehicle. But I'm in this situation because Hashem wants me to be in this situation. What can I learn from it? What can I get from it? Kacha Hashem and I want to tell you, if you practice this mantra, it is incredibly profound for everything from getting stuck in traffic, right, to real life setback. Sometimes this is what Hashem wants. Now, again, you have to be careful a little bit because sometimes that can become a crutch because sometimes I want to accomplish something. I don't accomplish it. And I say, oh, Kach Hashem Rotsa. No, 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 no. It's because you, you were lazy, right? Because you, you didn't work hard enough. You can't say Kach Hashem Rotsa like that. Kach Hashem Rotsa is the mantra, especially in circumstances where I find myself, where like, it was almost like beyond my control. There was nothing really I could have done to foresee this, nothing I could have done to prevent this, or I tried to prevent, but this is where I am. Instead of lamenting it, understand you are exactly where Hashem wants you to be. Now the question is, what do you want to do with it? And that's David HaMelech. Kach Hashem Rotsa. By the way, it sounds a little familiar, right? Because it's the exact same conversation 
that Mordechai has with Esther. Remember, again, we'll get to this in just a little bit. Well, just a little bit. I mean, like two weeks. Hashem, when we'll get into the Megillah, and we're going to see in one of the most moving conversations, when Mordechai tells Esther about the decree of the king, and Mordechai says to Esther, you have to go to the king. You have to go to the king. And Esther essentially says, no. no. She says, no, I can't go to the king. I haven't been summoned. It's almost, a, it's almost a, a sure death sentence. And Mordechai says essentially to Esther, why do you think you're here? Why, why, in other words, why do you, you didn't choose to be queen. Remember again, Esther did not apply for the position, right? Esther, Esther had no interest in it. Esther was taken against her will in every single way, right? So why do you think you're here? You're put in a situation against your will. It's not just that you're the victim of Ahasuerus's, you know, immorality, or you're the victim of just a decadent society. You're not a victim. You're exactly where you need to be. Hashem placed you here. Kacha Hashem rotsa. So Esther, what are you going to do now that you realize you've been placed in this situation by God? So look at this incredible circle. This incredible circle, right? Esther and Mordechai are only, Esther's only born because Mord, because, excuse me, because David spares for Alter Zayda, right? Because, because David Amalek spares Shimi Ben Geira. Why does David Amalek spare Shimi Ben Geira? Maybe Hashem doesn't want me to kill Shimi. Maybe Hashem wants me to experience the humiliation and degradation of the cursing. Maybe this is a kapara. Maybe this is humbling. Who knows what it is? But this is where Hashem is placing me. So because David HaMelech chose an approach of Kacha Hashem wrote, this is what Hashem wants. Instead of jumping to kill Shimi, like everyone else around him was ready to do, Shimi survives. Shimi has a family, Shimi has Esther Amalko, and Mordechai Hayudi, Mordechai HaTzadik. And then Mordechai HaTzadik tells Esther Amalko, you're in this situation because Hashem placed you here. Kacha Hashem Rotza, spring into action. Esther Amalko goes ahead and jumps into action and is the architect of the salvation of the Jewish people. All because people accepted and adopted an approach of Kacha Hashem Rotza. I'm not going to live like a victim. I'm not going to live like a victim. I'm not going to live like a person who's just like plopped down in circumstances beyond their control. Even if I am plopped down in circumstances beyond my control, I'm not going to, I'm not going to approach it with a victim mentality. This is where I am because this is where Hashem wants me to be. Now I have to figure out exactly what to do with it. That was the mentality of David, which spared Shimi, which gave birth to Esther and Mordechai, who then had the same conversation, which then led to the salvation of the Jewish people. There's one more lesson. One more lesson that David Melch teaches us, which is the ability to exercise restraint. You see, if you notice something absolutely amazing is the conversation between David and his generals, right? If you go back for just one moment to source number eight, to source number eight, and if you take a look for a moment, if you take a look, so right, right, when, right when Shimi starts cursing David, so if you take a look at source number eight, Pasuk Tess, I read this before, but Vayomer Avishai ben Surya Alamelech. Lam yekalala kelev hamesazes Adonia Melech. So you know, look, look, Avishai ben Surya, David's general, calls Shimi ben Geira a dead dog. Why should this dead dog curse you? Right? Why should this dead dog curse you? Let me go cut off his head right now. So what do you see? You see like, a, like, an, like an impetuosity. Like, like let, let, let's do this. 
And David HaMelech models the exact opposite behavior. What does David HaMelech model? Restraint. Restraint. David HaMelech doesn't say anything, right? He doesn't respond. If you notice, he doesn't respond to Shimi, right? He doesn't say, Shimi, what's wrong? Shefala, what's the problem, right? Let's talk. He doesn't write nothing, right? There's no kind nothing. David HaMelech exercises absolute restraint because David HaMelech teaches us this most incredible lesson that sometimes in heated and difficult moments, the reflexive reaction is to react. And sometimes the greatest strength or the greatest thing one could do in difficult situations is exercise absolute restraint. There's a beautiful Gemara. The Gemara says in number 12, Gemara Meseches Yuma, the Gemara says, Ha-ne'elavin People, Ne'elavin means people who are degraded. Right? People who are degraded, but do not degrade in return. They hear their degradation, but they do not respond. So the Gemara says, About them, the Pasuk says, The ones who love Hashem are as luminescent as the sun when it comes out. The Gemara extols, extols the koach of restraint. The ability to hold oneself back from saying something, from responding, when I know that that response is not going to yield anything positive. I saw a beautiful quote. There's an American author by the name of Orson Scott Card. And he said as follows. He said, among my most prized possessions are the words that I have never spoken. The power of restraint cannot be cannot be underestimated. And I would say that I think in our generation today, this is one of the hardest things because we have so many different modes of instant communication, right? We could, we could fire off communication without even a moment's thought, right? And you don't have to use words. You could use emojis or, or shortened words or different things like that. And often this happens. You see this. People see things and do things and they just fire off responses or fire off retorts without thinking about what it is that they're saying or whether or not it actually needs to be said. And David Mel teaches us this most awesome lesson that sometimes the greatest thing you can say is nothing at all. By the way, you know, it's interesting. One of the places where we learn this, interesting place where we learn this, that sometimes the greatest koach is in silence is by nichom avelim, is by comforting mourners, right? The halacha is, we were doing this in Dafyomi not so long ago, that the halacha is that when you go to comfort a mourner, the mitzvah of nichom avelim is to go, to sit down, and to be silent. And to be silent, right? If the mourner speaks, then, then, then you have permission to speak. But if the mourner doesn't speak, then really a person should not say anything. There's a pal- so what do you see from there? You see from there that sometimes the most profound things you can convey are not the things you say, but they're the things you emote. Right? When I go to a shiva home and I'm there, what I'm telling the person is, I care about you. That's why I'm here. I care about you. Again, I want to be clear. You know, I, in all of my years in the rabbinate, I have yet to hear someone say, oh, you know, that person came to the shiva home and they said that theological pearl of wisdom and mamish, like it turned everything around for me. Right? It took away all of my pain. I felt like my loved one was here. Mashiach was here. Everything was great. No one really has anything to say that's going to take away the pain of a person who's grieving. And that's why Chazal said, don't say anything. Just be there. Just be there. The power of restraints. I just want to point something out. 
had David HaMelech not restrained himself and said something, probably, well, let, let's play this out. Had David HaMelech said something back to Shimi, what probably would have happened? What probably would have happened? Probably would have escalated, right? And would have led to bloodshed. Had David HaMelech not, 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 not demonstrated restraint and literally killed Shimi, either way, no Mordechai, no Esther. You see, when you don't exercise restraint in life, bad things happen. There are times you have to respond. There are times I have to say something. There are times when silence is not golden. There are times where a situation demands a response. But at the end of the day, so much more often than not, silence and restraint is the best way forward. You know, parents know this, or parents hopefully know this. You know, sometimes a parent, sometimes it could happen, a parent will see a child doing something wrong. It's been rumored to happen, right? So one of the most difficult things in parenting is when do you say something and when don't you say something? If you say something every single time, you're overbearing. If you never say anything, you've fundamentally abdicated your parental responsibility and you are not a fit parent. So amazingly enough, you have to be somewhere in the middle. I can't say something all of the time, but I also can't say nothing all of the time either. I have to, I have, to have some level of restraint, but again, restraint means I don't ever, never respond. And how often is it in life? It's, it's happened sometimes. People say offensive things things. People say offensive things. Sometimes people say offensive things. They realize they've said offensive things. They intentionally say offensive things. And sometimes people are just, you know, like tone deaf to the things that they're saying and how they're saying it. And often when someone hurts our feelings, the reflexive reaction is retort, respond. And what do you get from it? What do you get from it? Now it just blew up. Whereas if I just go ahead and exercise restraint, Everybody just moves on. There's no need to make something out of nothing. And had David HaMelech, and again, lest you think that restraint is nice, but not necessary, had David HaMelech not acted with restraint, the architects of the Purim story would have never been born. So if we bring this all together with this, we'll conclude. So it turns out that David HaMelech has every right to every right to write about Esther HaMalka. Why? Because as the Al-Sheikh said, David HaMelech himself is responsible for the birth of Esther HaMalka, for the birth of Mordechai HaTzadik. How is he responsible? Because David HaMelech really modeled and embodied these two most incredible traits. The trait or the mantra, Kacha Hashem when I find myself in a situation, I'm not going to look for someone to blame or someone to get upset at or to beat myself up. This is where I am. And maybe, maybe, this is exactly where Hashem needs me to be. Because David HaMelech, again, embodied that mindset. He didn't take action against Shimi. Shimi lives, has a family. Mordechai, Esther. Mordechai has the same conversation with Esther. Number two, David HaMelech says, I have a right to write about Esther Malka. Why? Because of my restraint. I modeled restraint. I showed restraint in life. And because of that restraint, therefore, again, there's a Mordechai, there's an Esther, there's a salvation of Purim. If we could inculcate these two ideas into our lives, when we get into difficult situations, just take a deep breath. This is where Hashem wants me to be. 
And now what should I do? What should I learn? How should I grow from this circumstance? When things happen in life that upset us, that offend us, that anger us, instead of reacting, show restraint. And when you adopt these two approaches in life, David Amal tells us, miraculous, salvational events are sure to follow. We'll stop over here for tonight. Mirat Shem will continue in Kapitol Chav Beis next week. And then the week after that, Mirat Shem will get into the Megillah Sester.